Blog Talk Radio. Good evening. Welcome back to the Armchair Booking Wrestling Podcast. I'm Steve, and this is my co-host Kyle. Say hello, Kyle. Hello, guys. Tonight, we're going to be discussing the nature boy, Ric Flair, and why we feel, at least I feel, he is and always will be the real world champion. Talking about his start in the business, his rise through the ranks, how he did pay his dues, and he proved his work time after time after time, and no one can argue his contributions, despite their efforts, and his accomplishments to the wrestling business. What do you think, Kyle? Before we get started with that, you have some uh, show announcements to make. I do. If anybody would like to contact us, there are quite a few ways. We, well, I've really just a few ways right now, but they will be adding up. We have an email address, armchairbookingpodcast at gmail.com. We also have a Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash armchairbookingpodcast. And if you would like to call Lynn as a guest, the phone number is 319-527-6089. You can use that to call us at any time while we're on the air, and we will take your calls as, as quickly as we can. And so far, we've had zero call-in, so if anybody wants to be the first, go for it. We would absolutely love it. We'd welcome guests, viewer feedback, and future show topics. Yeah, absolutely. But tonight's topic being Ric Flair. Woo! Woo! So, Kyle, we're going to talk about why Ric Flair is a world champion, but if we really have to go back in history, you can see Ric Flair, he's been around a while. That man has been wrestling since before I was born. He started in night. Yeah. Been wrestling before my dad was born. I see that's saying something. Yeah, he was, he started in 1972. He was the pro wrestling illustrator rookie of the year. 1972. So he he trained out of the AWA. So uh, with Vern Gagne. Vern trained. Uh, unique fact: his original wrestling name was going to be Ramblin' Ricky Rhodes. Yep, he was a big big fan for Big Dusty, and he was told by someone that. He needed to actually carve his own identity. Don't try to take someone else's. As much as what they had respect for Dusty Rhodes, like everybody had respect for Dusty Rhodes, he still said, you need to make your own identity. And, well, it kind of worked out pretty well, I think. Well, being a man of additional weight, Ric Flair used to be a uh, 310-pound powerlifter. When he started in the AWA camp, lost something like 60 pounds before he started wrestling, ended up getting down to, you'd say his booking weight was about 40. I know every time I saw him in Pro Wrestling Illustrated, they always had his weight listed at 243. So, in Incredible weight loss there and conditioning for 
for a professional wrestler. When you think Ric Flair, the first thing you got to think are 60-minute matches. Mm-hmm. And, hey, well, you said, you know, the, the 500 free squats they would do every day at the training camp contributed to that. And they would run done, free squats? You ever done some free squats? Oh, I've done some free squats. Not 500. You know, I've done like 40. <laughs> you know, 40 and 50. And that was for PT. And it wasn't like I said, hey, let's do some free squats now. You know, it was always somebody else saying, hey, y'all do some free squats. Hey, you, especially you, hey, fat boy, Steve. Yeah, you need some free squats, you're fatty. And, <laughs> you know, but not a fan of free squats, even though they will, they will put you in shape. Flair, tell us about his early career, his ascent to being a world champion. Well, he didn't really stay in the AWA very long. And pretty soon, you know, he uh, he left for uh, Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling you know, um, under the rule of uh, Jim Crockett. And he won, I believe, every title that they had at least once. In fact, I didn't know this until I was doing the research for this. Flair actually holds the record for the most reigns as U.S. champion. I did not know that. Because we always talk his, you know, 20 times as world champion, or however many, depending on which source you look at, it'd be anywhere from 16 to like 25 times as world champion. But he also he held the U.S. title six times. Did not know that. Unique fact there. Uh, back back when Ric Flair started, there was a true ascent, uh, a a true earning earning your dues, paying your dues before you became a champion. It went from television title to U.S. title and then world champion. Or you could be the mid-Atlantic champion. You know, throw that in there probably before the U.S. champion. And But you had to, okay, we'll give you a belt now let's see how you know you last as this champion let's see how the fans react to that okay they reacted pretty well to it okay now let's bump you up okay can you hold the u.s champion by the way the u.s title is supposed to be the number one contender to the world title at least in the mid-atlantic area and during the territory days you go to other areas and they had their own versions of their number one title and some also had a u.s title so when you look in the archives it'll list u.s championship but it'll list in parentheses whatever territory it was in. Unique that he was trained by Vern Gagne in the AWA, but never won an AWA championship of any kind. He always gave, from what I can tell, he always gave Gagne credit for his training, for making him the wrestler that he ended up, um, well, starting out as. He had to change his style later on. But, he actually said, and I heard this in his interview with uh, Steve Austin, where his first one, he actually done a few with Steve Austin on his podcast. He said his first match, he was not smartened up. He said Vern never smartened him up. So he went in there thinking, this is it. And he found out during the match that it was a work. And, you know, so he didn't, he liked training under Vern. He did not like, working for Vern. 
And there have been a lot of wrestlers who had kind of said the same thing um, because Vern was demanding a certain percentage of their payouts from then on out, no matter where they were at. Um, and later on, you know, the stuff with the AWA in the mid-'80s when Vince was taking over everything and Vern tried to counter it, but he was a little too old school, and he let Hulk Hogan go. And we know how that ended up. But yeah, so yeah, Flair, he didn't he wasn't in the AWA very long. And then he moved on and he he moved down uh to Charlotte and he just fell in love with the area. And he's more or less been there ever since between Charlotte and Atlanta, all down in what was the mid Atlantic areas. Has there ever been a better fit? for a wrestler in a territory than Ric Flair in the mid-Atlantic area? You know, besides the Von Erichs in Texas, but they owned it. Um, I think that, that'd be kind of hard-pressed to find anything that would top Flair in the mid-Atlantic area. Because that, when I first started watching wrestling, that was it. I mean, it was I was living in North Carolina, and Flair was the world champion. He had just won the title back from Kerry Von Erich. I found that out later on. Um, and that was actually from reading Pro Wrestling Illustrated. We'll see how many times I can reference PWI in this one podcast. Maybe we, I can start setting a record for that. But <laughs> And Flair was a face in Mid-Atlantic. Reading the magazines, I found out he was a hill everywhere else. They cheered him in the Carolinas, and then, of course, later on when they absorbed Georgia and Florida, and and on into Virginia and Maryland, he was being cheered. But down in Texas, down in in other parts of Florida, in the Mid-South, down in Louisiana, in Oklahoma, in those areas, he was a bad guy caused me mixed emotions the first time I saw it in a magazine. But it also made me wonder, how's this dude doing all this traveling? You know, from territory to territory to territory, and how's he defending his title like that? And then now they've actually talked about his schedule. It was nuts. I don't see how he could do it. Well, you you think about it, we briefly talked, I mean, Mid-Atlantic heavyweight champion. You have a Mid-Atlantic tag team champion with Rick Hawk, Rip Hawk, Greg Valentine, Big John Studd. You have the World Tag Team Championship with Greg Valentine, Blackjack Mulligan. He's elevating, elevating his first title uh, for the NWA which was the traveling championship you mentioned, Harley Race. I believe when he first won it, it was actually against Dusty Rhodes, but let me check. Because he didn't hold it long, and then he ended up um, passing it to Harley Race. Yeah, his first time he won it, it was uh, he beat Dusty, but he ended up uh, losing it to Harley. And that's what formed Starcade 83. Mm-hmm. A flare for the gold. 
for his second reign. Uh, what went wrong with his first title reign? He said, um, I, I watched this the other day. He said he wasn't ready for it. And they knew it, but they were, they gave it to him anyway. And he just wasn't ready. All of a sudden he's having to take up these booking dates that were already set and they were set for Dusty. And he had to make those dates plus the other dates, and he it was too much too soon. Um, but then he had to kind of take a step back and say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. And then kind of ease back into it when he won in <clears throat> Starcade 83. And, yeah, he's talked about the travel, the crazy schedule where he's working, you know, six, seven days a week, twice on Saturday, twice on Sunday. Well, this this gets to uh, a point that should come up later, but you're bringing it up now. The NWA, Ric Flair is the last NWA traveling champion. He is. He absolutely is. Part of how we look at him is because of the fondness for the traveling world champion and the territories that he would wrestle in. And really, as the NWA champion, it's to make the local talent that you're wrestling look good so you can come back and make money with them again. Yep, and he understood that probably better than almost anybody else. And he learned that also from Harley Race because Harley was probably the, well. Think about this: Harley was the last traveling champion before Ric Flair. So m- many reigns uh, as world world heavyweight champion for Ric Flair. Um, I remember as a kid watching ESPN. And catching a replay of the Tournament of Roses against Kerry Von Erich, which was the Pro Wrestling Illustrated match of the year. Match of 84. 84. Yep. Um, As I grew older and could watch stuff, um, Ric Flair. And uh, I'll mention a couple names. They were obviously elevating Sting. And, and Sting should have happened at, what, Starcade, but he tore up his knee. Or they pushed it back for that terrible tournament, Battle Bowl tournament. Yeah. Three world-class matches with Ricky Steamboat. And those were in the late 80s. That's not even... That's like Flair's always said that the best uh, the best matches he had with Steamboat were actually in the late seventies and early eighties. And he said if those matches were better than the the, the trifecta that he had with him in the late eighties, goodness, I can't imagine that <laughs> those matches back then must have just been completely off the chart. Um, you can watch the Steamboat matches from '89 today 
and not be bored. Oh, absolutely. And but to me, when Flair he had just won the title back from Carey because they gave the title to Carey as a favor to Devon Eriks after David's passing. But Carey was never meant to be a long-term champion because Flair won it back from him something like 18 days later Yeah, in Japan, which I've, I've actually seen parts of that match, and that match was actually pretty good as well. And so, the hard thing about Carey Von Erich is, like, he already had a dependency problem. He did. And he wasn't reliable, and they gave him the title – and almost, I don't want to say out of pity, he was the best option of the boys. Now, to... we've, talked, we've talked about bodies on wrestlers. Tell me, Kerry Von Eric didn't have, like, the body that everybody should have tried to achieve. Kerry Von Eric was something else. Yeah, he was. But that, the... Three of the champions, um, maybe, maybe Kerry Von Erich's best match. I can see that. Um, because his stuff in the WWF, I mean, he, yeah, he was the Intercontinental Champion in WWF, but I didn't see anything as good as what he did in world class. But, well, yeah, but then again, well, Flair also brought it out because Flair could make anybody have a good match. The the matches with with Flair, even going back to the early eighties that started the Freebird angle in the cage. Um Flair always made Kerry Von Eric look good. Yes he did. And I I mentioned Scott Steiner in the past, if Flair really wanted to make you look good, he could with ease. And if he wanted to make you look bad while still making himself look good, he could do that pretty easy too. At Starcade 84, just out of blue, it was okay, we're going to put Flair against Dusty for the world title and a million dollars. Of course, you know, in reality, they were getting like, you know, seventy-seven fifty, something like that. But a million dollars, winner take all. And uh, Smokey Joe Frazier was the guest referee. And Dusty got cut. Joe Frazier stopped the match for excessive blood. And people lost their mind, but I was even thinking back then, why is Flair a bad guy just for this one night? Is he going to stay? But no, he's back to being a good guy like two weeks later. And and that was the summer where Flair was, uh, he had the, the angle against Nikita Koloff. In the summer of 85 is when they had the Great American, the first Great American Bash. And the headline match was Flair and Nikita. And I'm thinking back then, oh, Nikita's going to kill him. Oh, no, you know, this this Russian dude, who apparently is actually from Minnesota, he's going to kill Flair, who's also from Minnesota. 
<laughs> and, <laughs> and then he didn't. I believe that Nikola or Nikita got disqualified. Um, he probably came in there and used the chain. And, and then it was wasn't that much later on. In fact, I want to say it was in the that was in the summer. So in the fall is when they had Flair and Nikita in the cage in the Omni in Atlanta. And you know exactly the night I'm talking about because Dusty came in to save Rick from the Russians and Flair looked at him. Basically, I told you to stay out of my business. And that's when the Andersons came in and they beat up on Dusty. Flair locked the cage door and then they whooped up on Dusty and ended up, you know, quote unquote, breaking his leg or his ankle. And Arns actually talked about this. He said it took them over an hour to get back to the dressing room because the fans were rioting that bad. They were they were ready to kill him. That's also what turned Flair, you know, heel. And so now he's a heel everywhere, which worked out better, if you ask me. It just kind of makes well, sense to have a little bit of continuity. What about Rick Flair? as a world champion made him likable. You mean like the face likable or are you just saying just in general? Like when Ric Flair gets cheered, it's because we appreciate his talent. Now, yes. And we appreciate his contribution and everybody likes saying woo and even now, the whole thing with him and Randy Orton, where he's kind of playing Hill, and he gave Christian the crotch shop, and it, I, I don't get what they're doing with it, but but everybody appreciated uh, Rick even back then, and there was a couple times, I mean, they were cheering him, even though he was supposed to be a heel. Like, well, when they came back with the horseman, when Sting was a horseman, you know, for that minute... And they were cheering them, but then they kicked Sting out, and you now they're back to being bad guys again. Well, you, you think of Flair in the 80s, and all you can think about is the horseman. And that, yeah. that's not to diminish his 83 match with Harley Race, where he won his second title, the 84 matches with Kerry Von Erich, where he lost and won the title. Uh, 85, 86, 87, um, all the way to when Tully and Arn left in 88. The Horsemen with Ric Flair dominated Mid-Atlantic Wrestling Television. Like, they were the best. Hey, Kyle, you there? Promo-wise. He he played up his playboy rich lifestyle, the women he was with. He made you want to watch someone beat him up. Hey, Kyle, we have what looks like a caller. However, what I'm seeing is an area code of 111. 
And then the worst number is one 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 one. Sounds like an overseas caller. Uh, that sounds like probably a fake caller, but let me go ahead and check it out. Hello, caller. Hey, how's it going, guys? This is Craig. Craig. Hi, Hi Craig. Craig. You guys, try, you guys, big Ric Flair fans, I guess. Yes, sir. Oh, I grew up with Ric Flair. I love to see some Ric Flair. Uh, I got a story for you. This one time, the uh, back in 2011, when the Colts and the Chiefs were bad, both my uncles, one's a Chief fan, one's a Colts fan, they were battling. Both teams were terrible. Chiefs had no wins. Colts had one, and they were they bet on the game. And Craig spilled his beer on his carpet, and they bet that the loser got Ric Flair chopped. And they went outside. And the lose, so the Colts ended up uh, losing to the Chiefs. So my uncle Craig got the Ric Flair chop Michael Gavin with his shirt off. And meanwhile, Craig's aunt, wife Sandy was in the background with the M60 airsoft gun, and she was shooting them as they were Ric Flair chopping Gavin and hit Gavin in the neck. And Gavin's like, "I feel like JFK." And then uh, Ray Frederick and his kids were there, and Dylan was running around, and I took the football and smoked Craig in the back of the shoulder blades and blamed Dylan, who's like third grade. And Craig's like, that little son of a bitch. And then and it was me who threw it, but threw it at Dylan, who was like 10. Miss Dylan hit this girl and helicoptered in the air because he hit her in the leg, took her inside, gave her 20 bucks. She was crying, and then her dad, Fred Real, said, hey, you should have let him hit you again for 50. And then Craig went on the fence and got shot by the M60, but it all started with that Ric Flair shot. Oh. Oh, well, thanks for the story, Craig. Uh, where are you actually calling from? Indiana. Indiana. Okay, yep, because your area codes come up as all ones. In fact, your number is coming up as all ones. Oh, I'm but sorry. It's a uh, one of those pay-for-minutes phones. Ah, okay. Well, thank you for the story. Do appreciate it. And if you uh, if you want to email, uh, armchairbookypodcast at gmail dot com. And if you're on Facebook, uh, look for facebook dot com slash armchairbookingpodcast. We'd love to hear from you. I will. I tweet tweet at Ric Flair all the time. Um, sometimes I got a like, but I always like his uh, thing, especially if the Panthers did it a few years ago with the woo. Give me two right. clubs and Ric Flair. I love that stuff. <laughs> Well, cool. Well, thank you, sir. And next week we'll be on again if you want to call back. Yeah, we're going uh, to is it going to be on Tuesdays again? As for right now, Tuesday is 930. Do you do it every Tuesday? This is actually episode number five, but right now we're, we're scheduling every Tuesday, 930. Oh, so you guys just started it up then? Yes, sir. Uh, how do you start up a blog talk? Uh, tell you what, go ahead and email me, you know, or email us at Armchair Booking Podcast because we do need to go ahead and continue on the discussion. But yeah, go ahead and email me, and I'll I'll show you how I did it, or I'll, at least I'll send you the okay. links on well, how I did it. So so like I could start last question like this, I could start it up myself and do our own. Yeah, you could yeah. actually start up a podcast. Do you last? Do you pay for it? Yes. 
I'm going through Block Talk is Radio. It per- it's forty dollars a month. Oh, that ain't bad. That's actually the cheapest one. There's some that are yeah, a lot higher. Cheap. Do you get a lot of callers? You're the first one. You're first. <laughs> I'm your first caller. You are our very first caller. Hell yeah! It's like where you hang up a dollar bill and when you make your first dollar at a restaurant. There you go. Well, yep. I'm glad I was your first caller, guys. Yep, we that made my that. night. Yep. So, anyway, Craig, we're going to go ahead and let you go now. So, yeah. Are you guys big wrestling fans? Yes. That's why we created the podcast. Do you, what, do you miss the old WrestleManias? All the, the old ones? Yeah. Yeah, those were the best ones. I grew up with those. That's back when wrestling was hey. the good old days, you know, when it was like Lou Albino and Andre the Giant. While you're on the phone, sure, Ric Flair match. Conquistador, and I miss Dory Funk, and I miss Flash Funk, and Haas Funk, and Terry Funk, and Rikishi. And Bam Bam Bigelow and Junkyard Dog. And I miss Conquistador and I miss Spike Dudley. All those guys. We're going to go ahead and talk about it uh, in later episodes. You guys are? I'd love to hear from you again. You should do like a rewatch and then we can kind of like comment live and the people at home can like watch it. Well, we'll think about it, but we're going to go ahead and let you go. All right, Craig. I'd love we'll to call back later, in. Dude. See ya. I'd love to call back in if you'd have me. Next Tuesday, nine thirty. All right, dude. We got to go. All right, I'll, I'm going to set my Google Calendar right now. I'm wearing my. Uh, All right, dude. I'm wearing my Ric Flair T-shirt right now. All right, dude. Take care. All right, I love you guys. I'll see you next Tuesday. All right. Well, thank you, Craig. That was interesting. A wrestling um, fan. Yes, it, an actual wrestling fan. Actually, some of the old names. You you being in your state, me being on the opposite side of the country, wrestling connects people. Yes, it does. Um, I will give a reminder to anybody who's listening, please keep it family friendly. That's one of the things that you won't hear from Kyle and myself, we, we won't hear any language on the podcast anyway. You get us in real life, well, that may be a different story. But we also do not talk about politics, and we do not talk about religion. And once again, you get us in off the podcast, oh, yeah. You know, we'll talk about this all day long, but not here. No, anything still more. Yeah, not right now. <laughs> so, so where were we, Kyle? We, so we, we were talking... About Ric Flair and the in the Horseman period. Um, yes, the start of the Horseman. I had asked Craig. I don't think he heard me. What is your favorite Ric Flair match? Uh, that would, I would say, 1989 was his best year as champion. And we're talking Funk, Steamboat, Great Muda. Just match after match, you you look at the whole year. Rick Rick Flair was just awesome that year. 
Yeah, yeah, that is a that is a hard one to beat because I'm always uh, well, I'm always, always sticking around like eighty seven, eighty six, eighty seven. But that was. You look at his 86 run, I mean, he did take on everyone in. Everybody. And and we're talking, uh, I watched a 30-minute match with him and Road Warrior Hawk. Yeah, Hawk, who wasn't exactly known for his stamina, because he was more focused on, yeah, he was more focused on the muscles. And the Hawk was another, and his look was just phenomenal. Can you name a, a better year? Like he, even his '92 run, with it was my, the Royal Rumble where he won it. Macho best Man, Roy, the best Royal Rumble out there, in my opinion. But go ahead. No argument. But you had the Macho Man. You had Hogan in the house shows. You had Rowdy Piper. He he wrestled Kerry Von Erich a little bit. It ended with Mr. Perfect, uh, Ultimate Warrior. Was supposed to be in there. I I just don't have anything that would beat '89. Oh, that's when I'll go back to the. 86, 87, because he was wrestling Magnum, obviously, before he, you know, he got in his car wreck. Uh, Ricky Morton, that that was when they had the big the big program with Mickey Morton. Mickey Morton. Ricky Morton. Sorry, I got a news flash on my phone. It kind of distracted me for a second. Um, and he was wrestling, you know, Robert Gibson as well. That, was that the year he actually lost it to Dusty Rhodes for about two weeks? Uh, he, I know he lost it in 86. That was, he lost it to Dusty, and then he won it back from him. Um, and every time he won it back, it was always like in Kansas City, you know, an area that was not mid-Atlantic, but they would always do a show up in Kansas City. And he won it with the figure four, but not with Dusty submitting he won it because Dusty was in so much pain that he passed out. And one, two, three, there you go. I mean, well, with 80, you also have uh, a match with Barry Windham in February. Like you, you can really say in '86 he wrestled the whole roster. Was that when he and Barry Windham were going around wrestling these ridiculous? 60-minute, 90-minute Broadways because they could. Because Barry Windham, he was he was phenomenal. I don't think he, he's ever really gotten his due. And, and and he's gotten a lot of accolades. But I, mean, I always thought he actually deserved more than what he got. But... You have Ric Flair. Um, you have many of his matches. You think he's real world champion. And my counterpoint to this. So, when you think wrestling, 
do you think Ric Flair or Hulk Hogan? Maybe it's just because of where I grew up. Um, I always think Ric Flair first because that's what came on the TV Saturday mornings for me at first. I actually had um, the first time I was ever exposed to the WWF on TV was at somebody's house who had a satellite dish. And I'm not talking a little bitty direct TV dishes. I'm talking the great big honking seven meter dishes that you can tell when somebody's going to another channel, you know, when you're driving by their trailer because you'd see the dish moving. But they had a satellite and they were able to pull up um, WWF stuff on, well, not just USA, because I knew people that had cable, but I didn't watch it there. But they were pulling up stuff like the New England Sports Network because when Randy Savage beat Tito Santana for the Intercontinental title, I actually was watching it when it happened. You know, but that was really my first exposure to that. So Ric Flair, to me, would be the first wrestler I always think of. Now, later on, of course, I mean, Hulk Hogan did become the bigger name. And I'd say the majority of people, especially around our age, you'd say name a wrestler and they will say Hulk Hogan. You know, and I get that. But so when I, obviously when you say wrestling, um, people are going to say Hulk Hogan because Hogan was the big star. Yeah. But you you know what type of fan you are if you mention Ric Flair. Because Hogan was an entertainer. Yeah. And Ric Flair was a performer. He was a wrestler or an artist. <clears throat> and... Another one of the reasons back then why, you know, as a wrestling fan, and I'll say a wrestling mark at the time, um, because it was still real to me, was because Flair was wrestling everybody. Hogan was only wrestling bad guys because that was, you know, the criticism that the aftermags were giving him. And in fact, at one point, they had actually, um, I guess, kind of de-elevated his uh, title from a world title to just a regular championship. They said, no, he can't be a world title because he doesn't wrestle everybody. And then eventually they did bump it back up. And then now, ironically enough, Vince doesn't want to call it a world title. It's just a belt. It's just a prop. And I think that's another reason why the current product is going downhill. But that's a story for another day. But with Flair, go ahead. With with Ric Flair, um, he he did travel the world. He wrestled. He made other stars look good. But that's what the NWA. There's no NWA champion who couldn't wrestle. Dusty Rhodes, although he was more entertainer, but he could wrestle. Dusty could pull off some moves for a guy his size. I mean, he was throwing drop kicks. He was coming off the top rope with the flying body presses. He was doing moves that a man his size should not have been able to do. Uh, Harley Race was a wrestler. Gary Funk was a wrestler. Jack Briscoe was a wrestler. Dory Funk was a wrestler. That's what they did. 
and Ric Flair really the last, maybe the best at it. But two points to to argue with you. And the first one, Ric Flair and buy rates. Now, Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan both sold out buildings. But starting in 83, you had closed circuit television, then pay-per-view. Well, closed circuit wasn't television. That was you were going to an arena, and they, they were actually pulling it up on a screen there. Yeah, well, you, yeah, you took, unless you had a satellite dish, apparently. <laughs> I knew people that had satellite dishes. They could still watch it. So uh, Rick Flair, his – other than Sting, who he wrestled in 1988, do you know the highest buy rate Ric Flair was ever involved in? For non-WWF? Non-WWF. Before or after he went to the WWF the first time? Either time. One Ric Flair was involved with. The one Ric Flair was involved with was 1994 Bash at the Beach from Hulk Hogan. Okay, that would make sense, and I should have thought about that one. That's another that one. Was, I, was at, I was in Japan when that happened. That was the, the first Ric Flair-led pay-per-view that did a over-one buy rate. Because over a million well, buys. Well, when I got... When I found out that Hogan um, had beat Flair for the title, it was, it was Hogan's first match in WCW, and I was still calling it NWA at the time. Old habits, I guess. But I didn't like how they brought him in. His first match, he's against Flair. And yes, I do realize everybody knew who Hulk Hogan was, and yes, it was a big coup for them to get Hogan. And you could tell he had gone off the gas for a little bit because he had dropped quite a bit of weight. <laughs> And he, that. he changed his pharmaceutical regimen. Yeah, changed the gas. He wasn't taking the puppy stuff, <laughs> but was clearly on growth hormone. <laughs> Either way, dude had lost some weight. Dude was a lot skinnier than what he was prior. First match, he's in there with Flair and won the world title. And person didn't like that because but you got to earn your way. Okay, you've been in this other company, and you really haven't done much lately. Yeah, you know, you beat Yokozuna uh, last year, and then you well, didn't try, lost to him again. Think about that, and his, his WWF run, the Vince McMahon's biggest mistake was not putting Flair and Hogan on pay-per-view. Oh, I agree. Even though Vince has said, well, the fans in the Northeast don't know who Flair is. I'm like, are you are you crazy? They read the magazines, too. They know who Flair is. They know who a lot of these are. You know, Dusty was there a few years before that. They knew who he was. And I'd say Flair was probably a bigger name than Dusty. And Dusty was a pretty big name. But, yeah, I agree that 
when when I found out that Flair had all of a sudden showed up in the WWF, and not just showed up, but showed up with the big gold belt, I was like, hmm, the world happened here. Because at that point in time, I wasn't watching as much wrestling because, you know, I was 18, I think. See, I was 91. Yeah, I turned 18 that year. And I had a fairly active social life, you know, and I was working. So a lot of times when wrestling was on, I mean, I just wasn't watching. I'd watch it if it just happened to be on, but I wasn't making but, a point to watch it. You, but you think about Ric Flair and the pay-per-view model. Which transitioned towards the end of his peak. His highest ever buy rate was WrestleMania 7. Uh, he was at WrestleMania 8. Because yep. I'm thinking wrong number. Um, so WrestleMania 8 against the Macho Man, headlined by Hulk Hogan's retirement match. And then his next highest buy rate is in 94 against Hulk Hogan at Bash of the Beach. So perfect champion for his era with with house show-based business, but as it went national, Ric Flair was not the best draw. I, if they would have marketed him right in WWF, he could have been. But I think that also goes down to Vince being petty and not wanting to admit there are other organizations out there with other wrestlers. But he couldn't do that with Flair. He really, well, he shouldn't have been able to do that with Flair. Lot, completely changing the perspective, if you put Flair and Hogan at the Survivor Series when Flair first started, World real-world champion versus WWF champion would have done legendary numbers. Oh, I think so. Um, Now, Flair was involved because that was the Survivor Series where Undertaker beat Hogan for the title. You know, after Flair, that was 91. The Survivor Series, 1991. You have that, and and you see Ric Flair uh, in his history of buy rates. He'd brought people into the building when that was the model. And when you think of performing wrestling, you think of Ric Flair. But when it comes to pay-per-views and buy rates, Ric Flair may have been on the card, but by the time the pay-per-view model had come in and taken over the business, he he wasn't the reason you really watched the pay-per-view. Well, I could see that. Yeah, like I said, when you went from it being more or less closed circuit to the pay-per-view, yeah, and, and maybe it's just a matter of timing. Um, because for- <clears throat> and, and this is kind of my best point. And I, I have met Hulk Hogan. And, and granted, I was a kid. The man is a monster. And, and he was 6'7", easily over 300 pounds. Well, he was built 6'7". I've heard he's actually only about 6'4", or 6'5". 
well, now after the back surgeries, but when I saw him as a kid, the man was a monster. And he, he looked like a giant. That lawyer was a monster. And you see Ric Flair, and you hear about some of the backstage incidents with Ric Flair. I think I could have taken him in a fight. <laughs> One of the things I heard about Ric Flair's fights is that he may have forgotten he was in an actual fight and he was still in working punches because they said he threw like some of the best working punches in the business. But unfortunately, when you're in a real fight, though, you don't want those working punches. You kind of know what they thought of Ric Flair. And I'm not using the Steiner excuse, this one, although his promos were fantastic. When Ric Flair went to Japan, they would send Harley Race with him to protect him. Because Ric Flair couldn't actually defend himself. Uh, They would send Harley to make sure that the Japanese promoters wouldn't pull a fast one and have one of their guys uh, force Rick's shoulders down for real. And all of a sudden, they've got the, the world title held over there. Yeah, it wasn't necessarily... Now, I mean, it may have been for outside the ring... Uh, type shenanigans because I'm pretty sure that the slick Rick with the number of female conquests he's claimed to have. Yeah. We're talking Will Chamberlain numbers here. You know, you know, it wouldn't surprise me that there's a couple of high rate husbands, boyfriends, you know, and the like, no, but but I don't know. I mean, because if you Flair was also he was what an all state tackle when he in high school. I mean, he's and he's a legitimate athlete. And I think a lot of people forget about that. He was an athlete, but did you hear about his fight with Eric Bischoff? Yeah, that's what, that's what I was talking about. Because Eric even said, "Yeah, Flair was throwing working punches," but and, uh, his backstage. Rick Flair doesn't scream tough guy. But I think back in the day, I don't think he would back down. But Rick Flair always hung out in a group. It was life of the party. Life of the party. Had the horsemen. Like the horsemen were perfect for Rick Flair because he he'd need extra help and booking did sometimes he'd weasel out like just to make the other guy look good the a variety of different ways count out disqualification some sort of interference weaponry to get the advantage to get the win and that may be booking and that's something we won't won't know but you go to other options, a real world champion, not a soul on earth is going to say they could take out Brock Lesnar. Probably not. I could well, well, nobody, nobody, nobody in their right mind. How about that? 
I couldn't take out Brock Lesnar with a stun gun, a shotgun, and four friends. (laughs) (laughs) I got to, I got to remember that one. (laughs) But you, you look at Hulk Hogan. The man made millions of dollars. Same thing. If you look at it, Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan wrestled the same match. It was always the same formula. Flair, in his younger days, um, if you caught him before the whole, well, during the Horseman, really before the Horseman, he would actually vary his moves. He was doing a lot more suplexes, not just one type of suplex either. I mean, he was nailing all the types of suplexes. Um, he was laying in a lot more other moves. He was actually coming off the top rope doing stuff. And he was never a high flyer. Never accused him of that. Even though when he beat Harley in the cage, he did it with the flying body press. Right. But, but I mean, but he could do those moves. Um, and plane crash, which we didn't cover, I mean, he did have to alter his style. Um, now, the strange thing in his book, I think he claimed that instead of taking a flat back bump flat on his back, he was said he was taking it on his left side. You actually watch his matches, he actually takes it on his right side. But anyway, um, back to our point about you know being t- yeah, the man actually he said he's not tough. The man, you know, he survived a plane crash. They said he'd never wrestle again and he became world no. champion after that. I didn't say he wasn't not tough. I was talking about his take- matches. You said you can take him? I said I could take him in a fight. Okay, um, I'm not going to set that up right now. <laughs> there were, well, of course I could take him now. He's yeah, he's 72 he years old. But the the whole thing when you watch television, um, part of the appeal of Ric Flair is, a, well, I don't want to say Kentucky redneck without offending somebody, but a Kentucky redneck could look at that and say, I could take him. And you hear all, all these things about him, and it made you want to watch him get beat up. And that's where you make the money. I think Ric Flair is not the real world champion. I think he's elevated because we reminisce about a bygone era. Well, we think, and we, as we have about three and a half minutes left before they're going to give us a hard stop. Because Ric Flair is the last of the traveling champions, and he's been the world champion in two different organizations, which it used to be a rarity. I mean, I know it's a little bit more common now, but uh, the fact that he would wrestle everybody, and, and his matches did vary. Now, I know that he does the same moves um, his last few years, especially, it was the same as all the time. Or the way he even put it on his his own podcast, all he had, you know, later on was just a chop and knee drop and a woo. And and if you ever heard him say it, that is one of the funniest lines ever. It, it is. <laughs> I just had a chop and knee drop and a woo. And but his last match with Shawn Michaels, the one that made everybody cry. That one, I mean, he was throwing out a lot more than than just that. He he was really trying, and Shawn Michaels and him that was. Tremendous match, yeah. Like that one, 
it made my daughter cry, you know, like eight years later. You know, I had her watch it, on the network, and it, it made her it, made, it actually drew tears to her eyes. The a, a wrestler's wrestler, like if you wanted to make a wrestler like Ric Flair performer, you want, but money wise, ratings wise. You watch Ric Flair, especially towards the end. He was always going to lose. He put over more talent than anyone I can think of not named the Brooklyn Brawler or especially <laughs> Jones. Don't forget Barry Horowitz. But, well, but what I'm, I think world champion wrestler, I think Hulk Hogan because of the mainstream or I think Brock Lesnar because of legitimacy. And Ric Flair is number three on my list. I'll tell you what, I think we should continue this discussion next week. Kind of stopped in our timeline at around 1992 and we know you know, there was a lot more flair after that. We just we discussed '94 a little bit, but we haven't discussed some of his, you know, I guess you, actions. His career uh, a little later. I think you had chosen a topic for next week about the worst wrestling angles. Well, the most tasteless and most disgusting angles, and we'll come up with. We will figure out a top ten. We'll get to email each other. And we will whittle this down. But on that note, my friend, we are down to about 15 seconds. So until next week, hopefully we have more callers. Thank you, Craig, for being our very first. And contact us. So, Kyle, you're All right, you too, sir. All right, brother. We'll see you.